What's up, everybody? This is Christy Drutman, and we are back with another exciting season of the Brown Girl Green podcast. In case you're new here, I interview diverse and dynamic environmental leaders and advocates who are working to find creative solutions to the climate crisis. I'm working to change the image of what it means to be an environmentalist in the 21st century. So what's up, y'all? We're going to be diving in this week into one of my favorite topics, which is food. As we know, food is one of the most basic necessities of life. On a basic level, food provides us energy and nourishment, but the beauty of food is that it goes so much deeper than that. It's honestly amazing story It's honestly an amazing storytelling tool that I feel is severely underrated, especially when it comes to talking about issues around climate change. You know, one of the most amazing things that actually scared me when it came to talking about climate change was this idea that the climate crisis is going to impact chocolate and wine and when you tell people that like oh you might not be able to drink your favorite wine or eat your favorite chocolate due to climate change suddenly you just see like their reaction change all of a sudden they're like what my favorite things food is personal and i think when it comes to talking about the climate crisis and especially here on the show i'm all about making things personal and so i really wanted this episode to kind of dive into food as a medium for storytelling and to you know branch out of that to talk about plant-based foods because people are always like you know i i always get the question oh are you vegan like do you care about the planet <laughs> do you care about animals all these things i always tell people you know i have ibs i'm currently not fully vegan uh, but i always like to say that i'm very plant forward which today's guest also dives into is this concept of being plant forward which basically means your diet is very rich in fruit, vegetables, um, plant-based alternatives to meat and animal products, um, things of that nature. So it's not necessarily being 100% vegan, but it is about embracing more, more of these things that doesn't rely as heavily on animal-based products. And I think that that's a really important part of the conversation when it comes to climate change. When you're trying to get people on board, we know that, um, you know, industrial agriculture, you're we know that industrial agriculture worldwide is part of what is destroying the planet and we can't deny that. But we also understand that like some people might find that plant-based diets or being, you know, more plant forward might not be completely accessible to them. Um, but I wanted to say these are some benefits of being more plant forward that can help the planet and, you know, help yourself. According to an article by PubMed, Transitioning to plant-based diets has the potential to reduce diet-related land use by 76%. Diet-related greenhouse gas. Let me say that again. According to an article by PubMed, transitioning to plant-based diets has the potential to reduce diet-related land use by 76%. Diet-related greenhouse gas emissions by 49%. Eutrophication, which is basically runoff going into you know, bodies of water, poisoning fish, all that stuff by 49% and green and blue water use by 21% and 14%, 14% respectively. Um, and there's plenty of health benefits like lowering your blood pressure, lowering cholesterol, all that good stuff. 
Um, but I understand, as I said before, it's not always easy for people to be more plant forward, um, whether it's similar to me, like you have personal health issues, or you might view it as inaccessible, out of touch, just a white people thing, whatever. Um, but I really wanted to invite this week's guest on to address these intersections between food, culture, and climate, because being plant forward is not just, um, you know, something that's trendy. It's actually something that you can actually make a part of your lifestyle, and it has all of these multiple co-benefits, the, you know, benefiting the environment, benefiting your health. And I think it's something that, you know, people are sleeping on and we need we need to reframe the conversation. Um, and, you know, there is the this, this amazing quote by Lisa Betty, who's a history scholar and educator that, you know, about white veganism, because that's a lot of the critique, right? People view veganism as this, just this white thing. And Lisa Betty says, many white vegans enter this activism as a form of spiritual bypassing, which allows them to focus on individual choice and morality rather than colonialism and brutal white supremacist capitalism that has created and perpetuated the animal agricultural industry, food apartheid, modern enslavement in the food system, land displacement, species eradication, and transgenerational harm. And I understand, as I mentioned before, it's not always easy for people to go plant forward overnight, whether it's a similar situation to mine, where you might have personal health issues, or maybe maybe you perceive that veganism is out of touch with your cultural values and practices. I know I used to view that. I used to view it that way, you know, Filipino food is very animal product heavy. And there's a lot of dishes where I was like, if it's a plant-based alternative, it's not going to taste good anymore. And in some situations, that was true. And in other situations, it wasn't. And so that's a big reason why I wanted to invite this week's guest on. As someone who is a culinary expert who knows how to make things taste delicious and address being plant-forward at the same time. And, you know, many of us are aware that a lot of the vegan and plant-forward and plant-based movement here in the U.S. specifically in the last couple of years has been pretty whitewashed um, and being, you know, plant-based um, has been viewed as this thing that is just for people who have the wealth and the money and the racial privilege to do it. But I really want this episode to change that conception because for a lot of us who identify as Black, Indigenous, and people of color, like we're a part of these very widespread diasporas where plant-forward dishes are actually inherently a part of our culture. And I don't think a lot of us realize that. Um, and, you know, when it comes to veganism, especially Black veganism um, and, and being plant-forward as, you know, the Black community is, um, it's as much of a social and political philosophy as well as it is a diet. And I think sometimes people think um, that it's just a white people thing. And I really want this episode to show that, no, there is so much culture infused. There's so many ways to use creativity to redefine and retell that story and to show that BIPOC have been at the forefront of this conversation well before being vegan or whatever was a trend. Um, and so that's the main um, goal of today's episode is to really dive in, challenge those misconceptions, give you all some tips and tricks on how to embrace a more plant-forward lifestyle, and hopefully you'll get inspired by our guests' you know, innovation and artistry to use food as a medium for storytelling. 
So I am so excited to introduce you all to today's guest. She is Ghanaian chef Selassie Atadika, who is the founder of Midanu, which is a Ghanaian dining experience. I really wanted to bring her on to today's show because, you know, she's a culinary expert who is actually self-taught, which I'm so excited for her to talk a little bit more about that. She got her formal training um, at the Culinary Institute of America, but her story is really amazing. She just learned from folks in her culture, um, you know, other women in Ghana on her culinary practices and was learning, you know, how can you infuse Ghanaian culture with, you know, these practices of being plant forward. And she's very passionate about making recipes that are both delicious and accessible and also uses food as a teaching tool for storytelling. And it's awesome. Like her background is amazing. She got a degree in geography with environmental studies from Dartmouth, got a master's in international affairs from Columbia, and spent over a decade working with the UN. And her whole thing with Midanu is employing local, seasonal, and underutilized ingredients, including traditional grains and proteins, to deliver Africa's bounty to wider audiences. She likes to call herself a translator um, and a bridge builder and uses food as the medium to do that, to be able to talk about how can we talk about sustainability in a way that also, you know, translates and, and is interpreted with your culture. And, you know, it's all things we love here at Brown Girl Green. And that's exactly why I want to have her today. I think you're going to love today's episode. I learned a lot from it. Um, and yeah, it's just fun. So dig in and take a listen. What's up, everyone? I'm so excited to have another episode of Brown Girl Green. And today we are going to be talking about all things related to the intersections of plant-based diets, culture, and, you know, using food as a medium for storytelling. And I'm really excited to have today's guest, Selassie Atarika, who is the founder of Midanu which is an amazing culinary venture that is trying to infuse Ghanaian culture with being more plant forward. So I'm so excited to have her on the show. Of course, you know, the show is all about not only climate solutions, but very much emphasizing the need for the raising the profile and the voices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color worldwide who are a part of a multitude of diasporas who are working on addressing, you know, solutions to the climate crisis. So I love Selassie's approach to a climate solution, which is through being plant forward while also, you know, using a lot of cultural storytelling. And, you know, I'm just really excited to have her on the show today. So thank you so much, Selassie, for joining today on the Brown Girl Green Show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Christy. I'm super excited to be here. Amazing, amazing. So, you know, just to start us off, like, tell us about your journey with food. Why was this a medium that you felt passionate about to explore? And how did sustainability become infused in that journey over time? Well, I started off, I mean, I was born in Ghana and grew up in New York. And so food was a major part of how we maintained our culture from Ghana. So, you know, from a young age, just always eating Ghanaian dishes, but knowing that there was a difference between what we ate at home and what was being eaten out when we would go out to school or to other events. And I just became sort of obsessed with it. I always was involved with food. And later on, I um, ended up doing a master's in my, my bachelor's degree was actually environmental studies and geography. 
And I ended up working for the UN, traveling around the continent and kept seeing food as a way of connecting people. People came together for food, people exchanged with food. And I could also see food as a way of creating an economy. Food was also a way of sharing just appreciation, mm. love, culture. And I just felt really strongly that it was something that I could contribute to and it could really be a de delicious way of creating change. Wow. I absolutely love that. I, I think, you know, as someone who is a foodie myself, I just think food is such a powerful way to be able to talk about a moment in time, whether it's history or politics or culture in a way that really invites people in. Like it really is the definition of, you know, bringing a seat to the table, right? Exactly. It's like, what exactly. better seat at the table than sharing a meal with someone, you know? And so I love that so much. That's great. And, you know, I'm just wondering, like, what does me, me do new mean? Like, what does it stand yeah. for? What, what was behind the story of creating Midunu? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit more about that? So Midunu is in the Eva language, which you'll find in parts of Ghana and Togo. And it means literally, it's actually a short version. The long version is Va Midunu, which means come, let's eat. And so growing up in New York, my dad, whenever he would come home, he would be the last person to arrive. And that's when the family would get together for dinner. So like we'd be doing homework and different things. And then you just hear Midunu. And so it was like, ah, it's dinner time, you know? And so you knew it was that time <laughs> to come to the table. It's something that you say whenever you're about to eat. So that's one of the things that I really feel is beautiful culturally is that we don't eat alone. You always invite others. So it doesn't even matter if it's like literally like one mango or one whatever. You always, whenever you're in the presence of food and other people are around, you always invite them to eat with you. I think as the the business has evolved it's also important for me to say like we should all eat like we should all have the, the democracy of food it's important for us to all be able to eat so it came around because i was actually doing a dinner with some friends and i was in it was my menu it was my theme and so i kind of was putting together notes and it was three friends we were doing pop-ups in senegal and it was my dinner. I, I was doing the entire menu and they said, you know, you can put together a little menu or a note card. And so I did. And at the end, instead of saying Bon Appetit, because we were in Senegal and it's a francophone country, I just was like, Va mi dinu. And I really wanted it to be an invitation for them to enter into my culture, into my space. And so, you know, fast forward three years later, when I was ready to start my company, it just made sense to allow, to, to ask that as an invitation. It's an invitation to bring others to my table. Wow. I really love that. And, you know, as part of that invitation, you try to make it really accessible. A lot of what you emphasize a lot in your work is about being plant forward, which I love because I'm definitely in the plant forward category. I'm currently not vegan due to, you know, my own inabilities due to intolerances and things like that. But I always try to embrace a plant forward lifestyle, which for people who don't yeah. know, it just means embracing, you know, more plant based options where you can being able to explore things like incorporating more fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, plant based proteins, instead of just like strictly, you know, animal products and things like that. It's just getting you a bit closer to, you know, 100%, but it doesn't require 100%. It requires just like trying to find that in between. And I love that because that's, that's where I'm at, right? I like also am very plant forward because I also feel like it brings 
more people into the conversation, I think sometimes than, you know, be a hundred percent vegan or plant-based. And like, I would yeah. never preach for that because I'm not even that. And so I really like that. Like, that's also kind of the ethos behind your culinary practices. So I'm just wondering, I, like, what yeah. got you on this path to embrace, you know, this motto of being plant forward with, with your, your foods that you put out? I, I, for me, it was actually, it was kind of easy because I, when I, I, I moved back to Ghana about eight years ago and in that journey, I just kind of, well, even before I came back to Ghana, it was really just studying food and how people eat. And so when you see traditional cultures, you eat mostly plant-based except special occasions. And yeah. so that's always how, like from time immemorial in almost every single culture in the world, it's pretty much been that way. So, you know, meat was a special occasion. So if you see a lot of, you know, traditional cultures, you're slaughtering the cow or the goat because it's a special occasion. And then when it's done, it's done, right? And so for mm -hmm. me, it was like, mm -hmm. how do I respect how we used to eat? And as I was looking, I just realized that there were all these dishes with nuts and, and like, West Africa, we use peanuts and groundnuts a lot. So there are all these soups that already have their protein in it. There's a lot of beans being used. And so I just studied our traditional dishes and I realized that the, the animal protein mm. was really not necessary and was usually even probably very limited. And so I just kind of mm. stuck to that. And for me, it's, it's, I think it reminded me of, you know, my, my first time I went to India, it was amazing because I was traveling with a friend of mine who was vegetarian. And we were traveling together and she's like, you know, can we just kind of order mostly vegetarian so that I can eat everything? And I was like, of course. And so on that trip, it was like way beyond salad, you know, way beyond. So like the food is just so delicious. And so when you look at a lot of traditional dishes in, in Ghana and other parts of, of West Africa, a lot of the traditional dishes are fundamentally vegetarian in nature. And so it's, it wasn't a stretch for me, but I just love being able to highlight and showcase the deliciousness that comes through with vegetarian and vegan dishes as well, like anything that's plant forward. So that, that has been like, just really nice to be able to, to make it delicious and have people come along with you. And yeah. I think that's, that's the thing is like how everybody loves good food. And once you make it delicious, like we're all down. <laughs> nah, nah, exactly. No, I love that so much. And you know, what are some of your like plant forward Ghanaian like recipes that you really love that like just like make you really excited or like maybe your friends and family were like, whoa, how did you make it this way? Yeah, I, I think, I think in terms of flavor, we develop flavor. So, you know, there's so many ways to get flavor. And sometimes I actually think that it's easier to cook plant forward. Like, you know, your the flavors coming from the vegetables, from the fresh herbs, and, and you just build on that. And one of my mm. favorite dishes is actually just a beans dish. It's like beans. It's almost like a tomato stew. Like you stew the tomatoes, you add the beans to it. And in Ghana, we use a little bit of palm oil and it's like done in an environmentally appropriate way. So it's, it's how we, we eat. And there's just loads and loads of flavor. Traditionally, what they'll do is they'll add a little bit of either like powdered shrimp or powdered fish. So when you live in like in, in Ghana, we live at the climate where it's also known as the danger zone because it's so hot. One of my favorite dishes is this beans dish and it's kind of like stewed tomatoes, beans, and it's a, a touch of well-processed palm oil and the flavors are just amazing. We normally eat it with fried plantain. And so that dish is, we call it red, red. 
but it's just like this combination of you've got like the sweetness from the like plantain and you've got this like uber umami coming from the beans and just kind of like the two things coming together. It's just like, who really need, you're, you're not missing anything, you know, but traditionally we live in the, in a warm climate. So it's kind of known as sort of like a danger zone if you're in the kitchen. So this is where like, if you leave something out, it will spoil really fast. So there are all these traditional preservation techniques, whether it's salting, smoking, drying, and all ways of like making sure we don't waste the catch of the day or whatever it is that we have prepared. So when you see a lot of dishes in Ghana, you'll see smoked or dried pieces of, of meat or fish or something. So this beans dish, what normally happens is like there's a small piece of like smoked fish or there's a, a little bit of like dried shrimp that would be added to it. So it's just that tiny little something. It's almost like a little flavor agent. Back to what you were saying about, um, you know, avoiding food waste because food tends to spoil and you were yeah. saying things of that so, nature. So you're, you'll um, just... Would you be able to yeah. talk a little bit more about that? Just in terms of looking at, I think all, all f like food and cuisines start at community. That's how we all learned. How, like first it was like agriculture. So once we had agriculture, we actually were able to stay in one place and we weren't doing hunter and gatherer stuff, you know? So you can see the beginning of cuisine starting from when we were all together in a community. And that's when you start to see like, okay, we are fishermen. We caught the fish and we don't want it to spoil. So we're going to fry some, we're going to smoke some, we're going to dry some, and we're going to ferment some. And so that's actually how all these preservation techniques started. So it's like, it's not now it's cool and hip to do fermentation and to do this and that, but it's really just <laughs> a functional thing that, that people have been doing from time immemorial. Yeah. And so, but in our food profiles in, in Ghana, you see that it's part of the deliciousness that we know. So like for me, for example, people say it's sweet, salty, acid, sour, and umami. I'm like, we're smoky. Smoky is like the number six, right? Smoky is such a big part of what we do because it's part of our preservation techniques. And it's such like when you're eating food, it has that smoky flavor. We even have something in Ghana called, well, I don't know what the traditional name is, but it's actually a smoked water. So when you have a ceramic pot that keeps water cold, we actually smoke pieces of the palm tree and then it fills the crevices in the, in the pot. And then when you fill it with water, it, it's infusing the water with a smoky flavor. So for me, it's like smoky is its own standalone flavor, but that's what <laughs> we use for preservation techniques. And it's found its way into our food. And I just think that's another way of making food delicious. Like you can give it flavors far beyond, you know, like I smoke my mushrooms and then like, you know, I'll, I'll roast them and then I'll smoke them. So there's so many layers of flavor in that mushroom that like, it's just like next level. I remember I, I served it on a plate at some point and one of my friends was at the dinner and so somebody was sitting next to him and was like, what kind of meat is this? And he was like, it's mushroom. <laughs> so yeah, you can do lots of things. <laughs> the other dish that I love is a dish called etal. And it is, again, plantains. <laughs> and it's plantains yeah. that are, it's a dish actually that traditionally you get on your birthday. So like somebody in your house or your friends will make it and bring it to you for your birthday. And what we do is you boil the plantain and then you add to it peanut butter, ground up paste. And it's eaten with avocado. It's eaten with really well caramelized onions. And so that's a dish that I love doing. What I do with my version of etta is I do it a little bit like more sushi style. So I use the avocado, I'll slice it and then actually make it into like an avocado roll, but inside is the plantains. And we finish it off with beautiful like edible flowers for different other Whoa. layers of flavor, some roasted peanuts for texture. We caramelize the onions and like nice, long, beautiful pieces, but then we dry them so that they have another layer of texture. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, you're making my mouth water. I'm like, I'm so hungry listening to that. I need to try that at some point for sure. That sounds amazing. And, you know, hearing all of that, you know, there's a lot of people, well, I hear it all the time, even from like my other friends who know what I do for work and stuff like that, who are like, oh, like being more plant-based, like you're going to lose like flavor and culture. And it's just like this thing for people who just like, you know, are devoid of culture. Like you need this like meat and this, you know, these animal products for sure to like feel like you're actually connected to your your roots. Like, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Like, how have you kind of redefined that? Obviously, it seems like in Ghanaian culture, there's already inherently some of that plant forward ethos, like with yeah. stuff you already have. But I yeah. just want to know more, like, how do you challenge some of that misconception? Well, I mean, when I when I started doing my dinners here, <clears throat> I actually would have like a six or seven course meal. And then for like maybe two or three courses, we would have a vegetarian and a non-vegetarian option. And I remember there was one time I mm-hmm. couldn't remember like who ordered what. So I had the two plates of food and I was like, oh, did you order the vegetarian one or the non-vegetarian? And the guy was like, I would never be a vegetarian. Can't you see like In Ghana, you would say, like, I'm a big man, which means, like, I'm a wealthy person. Can't you tell that I'm a wealthy person? Like, why would I want the vegetarian option? And I was like, okay, no beef, no beef. Okay, no problem. I I didn't mean to insult you. And I was like, here's, you know, but since I'm already here, here's the vegetarian option. You can try. And I left it, and then they tried it, and then they thought it was delicious. So when I came back, he was like, I'm vegetarian now. (laughs) So I think think for me, it's like (laughs) there's all these preconceived notions about what it is. So I actually don't talk about it anymore. Like I, I used to make a big like spiel about it, but now I'm like, I'm just not going to talk about it because people don't even realize it. They just are looking for delicious. So for me, it's actually taking away the label is one thing. Two is actually in terms of culture, I would push back and I would say, go back into whichever cuisine you're talking about and do a deep dive into what that mm. food culture's tradition is. And most likely it is mostly plant forward with little bits of meat and things have flipped over in the last however many decades but like every culture has rice and beans almost and that is the perfect protein and somehow our ancestors knew that and like they all every almost every culture has a rice and beans dish so that's telling us already (laughs) the reality so for me when i look back historically particularly like with a lot of nomadic people and you will see that nomadic people they, their value is in their cattle and their like livestock. So they're not killing them every day. So they're not eating meat every day. They're using the byproducts. They're using the byproducts like the milk and the, the yogurts and the mm. cheeses. And that's actually how they, they sustain their wealth. Because if, if your wealth was cows and you ate meat every single or beef every single day, you're losing money every single day. So actually, I, I, I do believe that there have been adaptations over the years. But if you look at most cultures, it's mostly plants. It's mostly plants with a little bit of animal protein and then yes, byproducts, you know? So yeah, if you're trying to make the transition or you're even like contemplating it, what I'm, what I kind of do is I flip it. So like, what if you make the, the animal protein, you know, your, your garnish, like your crouton, like have just change the balance, you know, just, I'm not saying not to, especially if you're just kind of like going on that journey. So for example, I did an event in Turkey a few years ago and they love kebab. And so what did I do? We ended up doing a blended mm-hmm. kebab. So it was half mushroom and half beef or lamb in that case. And what does it do? It's reduced the, the animal protein intake by half, right? 
Oh, I love that. I mean, I think that's that's the key, right? Like, I think sometimes people get really turned off or very averse because they think it has to be this black and white, like very, very like you're giving something up, you have to sacrifice something. But instead, if we flip the script and instead view it as like, no, you're gaining something by getting to explore incorporating more of these plant forward options, you know, it's going to improve, you know, your health, it's going to help the environment, it's going to probably add flavor to your dish more than anything, because people care about taste the most out of everything, right? When it comes to food, then it's like, it shifts the conversation. Then it's like, oh, we're actually, yeah, I love that idea. It's like, you're, you're flipping the script. You're making people reconsider their perception of a dish, which is really cool. I, yeah. I really like that. And then, you know, I think another piece of this is like talking about the concept of food security, you know, with mm-hmm. growing climate change, there's going to need to be adaptation when it comes to, you know, the ingredients that we all can use worldwide, the access we're going to have for food. And just the fact of the matter is when it comes to agriculture and livestock, like all of those things are being threatened by the climate crisis. And so we as a human society can't even really depend that much in the long term on just like a very like strictly meat heavy or animal protein diet period because of like the climate conditions. Like that's just the reality of it. And so it is going to be important that people learn how to innovate with being plant forward in a way that's not sacrificing something, but is being mindful of incorporating more of those, those options because we're all going to have to collectively adapt anyway. So you might as well figure out how to make (laughs) things, you know, spice it up and make it taste good because resources are going to continue to be limited over time. So I love that. Like, I think exactly. being plant forward is a matter of thinking about food, food security. There was, there was like, a beautiful thing a friend of mine told me, and she was saying how in Liberia, she was from Liberia, she said, they're not taught what to eat, they're taught what not to eat. Because all of a sudden, when you're taught what not to eat, it means everything else is edible. So it's really about how do we open up and and look at all the options that are in front of us. Because I think, as you said, like we eat a very narrow, you know, a very narrow band of what is edible in the, on the planet. And once we start opening our eyes to all the things that we could be eating and should be eating, then all of a sudden you start seeing opportunities rather than limitations. I really love that. And I mean, you know, just to dive into, you know, your own culinary journey a little bit, Obviously, you're an expert and a thought leader in this space. I'm just wondering, like, you know, how did you make sure that with your training, you were able to bring in your culture? How did you like, you know, ensure and bring that along the way? Because I know there's sometimes people say you go into a culinary institute and it's very focused on like, you know, Western foods and Western culture, like at least from what I know from watching the Food (laughs) Network, you know what I mean? Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, French techniques, you know, like Anthony Bourdain and all of that. So I'm just wondering, how did you make sure that you like, I, um, kept on to How did I do that? I think for with, for my for myself, mine was I'm mostly self taught. So what I did in my journey was I traveled a lot and I ate a lot and just really had amazing food experiences around the continent. And then I said, okay, I know this. I know it's wow. delicious. It's amazing. And the rest of the world is over here. So how do I find a way to bridge that? And so I ended up doing like a, 
a one month crash course at Culinary Institute of America. And so for me, it was like, I took one month and then I added it to however many decades of like experience that I had from my mouth and my mother and my, the aunties and grandmothers that I was meeting around the continent. <clears throat> so for me, it's, I, I, I flipped it because I, I would say that I learned the rules that they were working with. I learned and understood their vocabulary and their language, but knowing how to express what they want. What I mean by that is I know the Ghanaian dishes that I fell in love with and that I'm still in love with and the ones that I met along the way. How am I able to explain it to somebody who doesn't know anything about it, but in a language that they understand. So for me, that's, that was my journey. I've never trained or worked with anyone. So like people are always like, well, you know, you make chocolates. Who's your inspiration? Like, who did you use to inspire this collection? I'm like myself and all the aunties that I met along the way. So there's nobody that is, is no, because like, I, I think that we, sometimes we put the risk, like we, I don't know. I, I think sometimes what we have, we don't appreciate it. So in Ghana, like people always laugh at me because I, I came back eight years ago, so I can play sort of like the, oh, I'm just like, I've just come back and I, I, I don't really understand. And it's fine. And I don't, I don't mind looking silly, but I love going up to like old aunties and grandmothers in villages and like, what is this? How do you make it? Can you show me how to prepare this? Because they actually have the knowledge about sustainability because they knew they needed to know how to make something stretch. They knew how to make food for a family mm -hmm. out of very little. They understand how to cook with very little technique, but create things that were like phenomenally delicious. And so for me, they have the answer. I'm just the conduit. Like I'm just the, 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 the middleman that's like taking this like generations of knowledge and translating on a plate that maybe somebody in New York might understand. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, <clears throat> for me, it's really about how do we mm -hmm. connect all this indigenous knowledge and, and understanding to modern day. So for me, I take what I need to from sort of the, the gastronomic world. But what I know is I can cook Ghanaian dishes and I know more about African flavors than anybody else that is in any of these culinary schools. So like, bring it, you know, let's go. <laughs> oh my God, I love that so much. I love meeting people who are translators and storytellers and that's why i was so excited to have you on the show today i think you're someone who is just very inspiring you didn't want you know you're the definition of like if they don't give me a seat at the table i'm gonna build the table you know like you're you're that you're that you're that woman you're doing that and i love that so much that's you know that's absolutely incredible um and you know, building off of that, as you know, we're, we're wrapping up here. I just wanted to know, like, from your own advice, actually, I have two questions. I'm gonna ask you two pieces of advice, because you're just really okay. dope. And I'm just like, very happy to have you on here. So the first question is advice around if people want to embrace being more plant forward, what are some tips that you'd want to give you want to give them to embrace that more in their day-to-day -day life if they're not, you know, a trained culinary expert like yourself, but I just want to implement it. No, but I mean, like for myself, like I said, I did a one-month crash course in a culinary school. Everything else has really been like learning and, and, and being inspired by, by women around me. I just, I think for me, it's, I would say if you just want to get into cooking, 
buy a new ingredient or buy a new spice or something every every week or every month, you know, just try something new and play with it, you know, either look it up online and see how someone else has prepared it. But just, I think we just need to all stretch a little bit and try something different. It could be a fruit you've never had before or a vegetable you've never had before. I mean, I, I only like two months, two years ago, started learning about Brussels sprouts because it's not something that I've ever really, you know, cooked, but I love Brussels sprouts now. And I, I, I figured out how to cook them in a way that I really love. So just, yeah, whenever you can just grab something new that you haven't tried before. And I would say also read as many, like, well, eat at different restaurants or, and they don't have to be fancy, expensive ones. It's like, for me, it's just about deliciousness. So some of the mom and pop shops that have like just different ingredients than what you know, just go ahead and ask them for one thing and just try one dish. Oh, I love that. And then the last question is just like, what is your advice for, you know, other women of color who, you know, I have a very similar journey to you in some ways where it's like, I didn't wait around for people to give me my expertise. I just built it myself. I like self-studied also. I learned how to do the thing. What is your advice for maybe some other people, not necessarily just women of color, but just people on that journey where maybe mm-hmm. they're they're very passionate about something, but they feel like they need X, Y, and Z pedigree to to get there. Obviously, you were able to, you know, figure it out yourself. I'm someone who also had to like figure it out myself. What is your advice for those people yeah. on that journey? Yeah, in terms of for other people, I would say that my first one is to to believe in yourself. I think that so much of the world is kind of questioning us and making us kind of feel like we have imposter syndrome. So I think it's really important to first just believe in who you are and then do the homework. It doesn't mean you have to get a degree, but actually understand the landscape where you are working. So for me, in in my case, it was like I started practicing. I did the pop-up with my friends in Senegal, understood it. And then at the end, did a bit of, of time at the culinary school one month, but you know, I didn't do this several years and I haven't worked in someone else's kitchen, <clears throat> but for, and I haven't worked in someone else's kitchen, but I think what, what is important to me is, and for many of us, we're in spaces that have never been explored before. We're doing things that no one else has done. We see needs that no one else has met. So again, you know more about what you know than anybody else has because they have not lived your life experience. So I think it's just understanding the landscape and seeing how to fit yourself in and understand their language to be able to share what you uniquely know that nobody else does. And I think for me, one of the things that I love trying to do is share culture. And so I've been doing that by sharing flavors and spices and fruits from, from Africa through chocolate. And so I just wanted to share a discount code with everybody. The website, our company is called Midunu Chocolates. So it's us.midunu, chocolate with an s.com. And you can use the promo code browngirlgreen10 to get 10% off your first purchase. We have a collection right now, which is showcasing a lot of spices from West Africa. And I just think it's a great way to explore and learn more. We've also put in all the chocolates are named after women that have inspired me. And there's a bit of story about each flavor and where it's sourced from and some of the tasting notes. So I hope you enjoy it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We loved having you. Thank you for your time and for joining. And yeah, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Super appreciate it. And I hope you try out some plant forward dishes in the future. Thank you so much, Selassie, for joining. 
Really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. You can follow me on Instagram. It's satadika, S-A-T-A-D-I-K-A. Or you can follow at Midinu Chocolates. And that's where you'll get all the stuff that's going on with our chocolates and what we're sharing. So I hope to hear more from you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Selassie, for joining us today. Make sure you follow her and her journey. Get those chocolates and make sure that you are subscribed to the Brown Girl Green podcast. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today's episode. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I know that I learned a lot from Chef Selassie. She taught me so much about how when you want to be more plant forward, you don't have to necessarily sacrifice culture and innovation within that. And I hope you gain that perspective as well. And so I want to leave you with a spectrum and a menu of opportunities from today's episode. So first of all, if you want to go level easy, to be more plant forward, you can start with something as basic as a meatless Monday. That means maybe the rest of the week you're eating some animal products, um, you know, if that's what you're normally used to, but you pick one day out of the week, it doesn't have to be Monday, but one day out of the week where you're just like completely eliminating that. You're only eating plant-based options. Um, that's level one, that's level easy. I think anyone can do that and commit to that. And that still makes a difference. Um, that's That's level one. Then as you level up to get a little bit more advanced, there's so many plant-based proteins on the market. There's tofu, there's chickpeas, there's beans. Um, there's so many like different types of proteins that exist that you can just buy from the store. It's very mindless. Um, as she mentioned, there's rice and beans. Keep it real simple. Um, and then you can just like, you know, cook it and it's mindless. You don't really have to make a really fancy recipe. Um, and there you go. You have your plant-based proteins you're donezo. It's good. Then if you want to level that up even more, then maybe you can go to your actual international markets, depending on what culture you come from or diaspora you come from, and actually explore the ingredients and the staples that are part of that culture. So you can explore what are some of the key ingredients that usually go into the this type of cuisine um, and kind of go through, figure out flavor profiles, seasonings, things like that. Um, and then you can build on that, right? You can make that a bit more complex. Think about recipes that quote unquote might require, you know, animal proteins right now. Um, think about how could you substitute that for more plant-based options? Then you can get, you know, more innovative, creative and be like, whoa, this dish that I never knew could be vegan or plant forward. Now I was able to make it that way by sub substituting things out. And you'll probably shock your friends and family, get them more excited um, what I really want you all to take away, no matter what level, whether it's level easy to this more, you know, advanced level of infusing that culture with plant forward options, whatever it is, is perfectly fine. It's just about taking that first step. And I think when people always ask me on an individual level, what can you do to address climate change? I think your diet is a big part of it. What you're buying into exploring and adapting, um, and trying to rethink um, how we view these plant-forward diets. And as Chef Selassie said, a lot of these plant-forward diets are inherent and existent in our cultures. And we can flip the script and view, um, you know, more of these animal-based products as something to celebrate and something that we have as an add-on um, to our diets rather than having it be like 
the main centerpiece um, because then there's so much we're missing out on when it comes to the diversity of plant forward options uh, and diets that we can use to enhance our lives. So I hope that this episode made you think a little bit more about how you can get creative in the kitchen uh, with your friends and family, using food as a storytelling tool. And as always, I hope you smash that subscribe button. Make sure that you subscribe to the Brown Girl Green podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Make sure you share this episode with friends and family if you found it intriguing. And check out browngirlgreen.com for all other episodes and content. And make sure you follow me at Brown Girl Green and the Brown Girl Green podcast at Brown Girl Green podcast on IG. Thank you all so much. I'm Christy Drutman, and this was the Brown Girl Green podcast, where I interview environmental leaders and advocates about creative solutions to the climate crisis. I'm on my way to changing the image of what it means to be an environmentalist in the 21st century. Thanks for joining. Thank you.